Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you don't know who I am, I think most of you do, but if you don't, uh, my name is Kevin Watts. I serve as the youth pastor here at Kirby Woods. And since Pastor Jared is out of town this weekend, he asked if I would fill in for him and preach this morning. And so I want you to know just what a privilege and just how grateful I am for this honor to preach this morning. I joined Kirby Woods with my family when I was in 11th grade in high school, way back 12 years ago. And so over the past 12 years, I would say that God has blessed me in in so many different ways through this church and through the people here. As I reflect on those 12 years, I think about how I was baptized here. I've been discipled here by numerous godly men and women. I met my wife here, that's really important. I was called into ministry here. Um, If you were here last week, uh, as of last week, I was ordained here. And over the past three years, I've served on staff here as as the youth pastor. And so I really am a product of this church, of Kirby Woods Baptist Church. And so I'm really grateful for this opportunity to preach and share God's word this morning. And so with that said, we're gonna pick up where we left off last week So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. And as you turn there, I want to just remind you of where we left off last week. Jesus told his disciples that they were to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come and for the Holy Spirit to empower them for the task ahead. And just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus told them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I I imagine that when they heard that, that was some exhilarating and exciting news for the disciples, that God was going to send his spirit and fulfill what had been spoken of by the prophets long before in the scriptures, that he would pour out his spirit on his people. But if you've read the book of Acts, you know that it was not an easy path for those first disciples. As we'll see as we go over the next several weeks through the book, they were arrested, imprisoned, beaten, and many of them were killed for their faith. In fact, early church history describes how some of the apostles died. Peter is said to have been crucified upside down in Rome namely because he didn't want to be killed the same way that his Savior was. Tradition says that Thomas was put to death by a spear in India. Matthew is said to have been killed by the sword in Ethiopia. And Paul is believed to have been beheaded by Nero in Rome. And I could go on and on, but the point is that those early disciples of Jesus would later experience persecution and many of them would die as martyrs. So with that in mind, I want you to see this morning from our passage how God was preparing the early church for what would come by reminding them that he alone is sovereign, that he has complete authority and power to do all that he pleases, so that no matter what they might experience moving forward, they could look back and be comforted knowing that God was in control. And so for that reason, I've titled this message, The Comfort of God's Sovereignty. So before we get into the passage, let me open us in prayer. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for just this opportunity to open your word and for us to gather together to hear your word preached. 
I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that, that you would teach us from this passage and um, just help us to come away with it uh, more obedient to you. Help us to, to live by faith and help us to see exactly what you want us to see and hear exactly what you want us to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna begin by reading Acts chapter one, verses 12 through 14. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the first thing that I want you to see this morning as we get started is the comfort of God's sovereignty when anticipating the future. When anticipating the future. In verse 12, we're told that the the disciples did exactly as Jesus had told them to do. After watching him ascend into heaven from Mount Olivet, they returned to Jerusalem where they waited for the Holy Spirit to come. And it says in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we have the 11 closest disciples, the women followers of Jesus, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, which is interesting because in John's gospel, John tells us that not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. And yet here they are together with the early church. We're actually told in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, what Pastor Jared read a couple weeks ago, that after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his brother James. And so most people think that that's when James first believed in Jesus. And then maybe that's when he led his other brothers to faith. But I think that that's really encouraging here to know that even Jesus' skeptical brothers eventually came to believe in him as the Savior. So the early church was awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit, but notice that as they waited, they didn't just sit around and twiddle their thumbs and stare out the window. It says all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. In other words, their waiting was purposeful. First, we see that they were meeting together in fellowship with one another. So they knew the importance of being together with other believers. And I hope if you're here this morning that you have that same mindset, that you're here because you know how important it is to worship together, to pray together, to hear God's word together. It also says that they were in one accord, which speaks to the unity of the believers in the early church. And then it says that they were devoting themselves to prayer. We're not told exactly what they prayed for, But you can imagine since Jesus is no longer with them physically, I imagine that they were praying to Jesus and they were continuing that intimacy with him by praying to him. And I imagine also that they were praying and asking that the Holy Spirit would come. That's what they were waiting for. So they were together, they had unity, they were praying. And I also wanna mention this, I'm gonna talk about it a little bit later on, but I believe they were also reading God's word, and I think they were searching the scriptures to see how God's word was being fulfilled. 
So I'll explain why I believe that a little bit later. But for now, I want you to consider this period of time between Jesus' ascension and then the day of Pentecost when God was, would pour out his spirit. We see here that this was a time of waiting. And I, if you're like me, you might wonder, why didn't Jesus just send the Holy Spirit immediately after he ascended? Why is there this period of waiting? Well, I think at least part of the answer is that God wanted to remind them of his sovereignty. Before they would be sent out, they needed to know that it wasn't based on their strength or their abilities, but it was God's spirit who would lead them and empower them to be witnesses for him. Jesus was teaching them that ultimately he is in control of his church. He would lead them, he would grow them, but for now, they were called to wait. In the same way, I believe God calls us in a lot of ways to wait. He wants us to trust his timing and to rest in the fact that he's in control. Now, obviously, that's not always easy for us. All of us have probably waited on God, maybe an answer to prayer or something that that we wanted, that we desired, and it's not always easy. But I want you to see that it's possible if we trust in God's sovereignty, that his time is best, and he has plans and purposes for our good and for for our joy that we might never know. So why were the disciples not worried or anxious? How were they able to wait patiently and purposefully? I believe because they found comfort in God's sovereignty as they anticipated the future. Now you might have noticed in verse 13 that we're given a list of Jesus's disciples who returned to Jerusalem, but instead of the normal 12, we're only told that there were 11. And so that leads me to the second thing that I want you to see from our text, and that is the comfort of God's sovereignty when acknowledging the past. When acknowledging the past. If we pick up in verse 15, it says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of person was in all about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." Well, evidently, as the disciples waited during this time, the reality of Judas's betrayal still weighed heavy on their hearts. The fact that one of their own companions, one of the, the very disciples of Jesus, could have done such a thing probably left them wondering, is God really in control? If so, why did this happen? And who's to say that they wouldn't fall away as well? But it's here that Peter, still the outspoken leader of the group, addresses the early church and says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. So as Peter acknowledged the past, namely Judas's betrayal of Jesus and all the evil involved in that, 
He understood this to be a fulfillment of God's plan all along. In other words, God can and does use the wicked choices of men for his glory and for our good. Consider what the disciples later said. I don't want to steal any of Pastor Jared's thunder, but I just want to read Acts chapter 4, 27 through 28. The early church said, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So somehow, Herod and Pilate and the Roman soldiers and the Jews were making real choices to commit the greatest evil that's ever been done, the crucifixion of the Son of God. And yet, we're told that it was God's sovereign plan for all of this to take place. Consider also what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Knowing all that they had done in selling him into slavery and all, that, all the pain and suffering that resulted from that, he said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. When we reflect on the past, especially the trials that we've experienced and the evil that's been done, we can be tempted to question God and ask, how could this happen? Is God really in control? But just as Peter and just as Joseph did, God wants us to acknowledge the past and see his providence and be comforted by his sovereignty. So when our lives are shaken by unexpected trials, we have to remind ourselves that nothing happens outside of God's control. When it feels like life is uncertain or chaotic, we have to tell ourselves God is not taken by surprise. This kind of assurance in God's sovereignty brought the early church comfort, even in the face of persecution and death. I think Charles Spurgeon was right when he famously said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. Well, in verses 18 and 19, there's a break in Peter's speech where Luke gives us a brief account of Judas's death. He says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Kind of a gruesome account. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a keldama, that is field of blood. So Peter saw this as a fulfillment of scripture. And that's why he goes on to say in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So Peter is actually referencing two Psalms here, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Both of these Psalms kind of describe similar things. They both depict a godly man speaking against his enemies. And in both Psalms, the godly man is praying for the punishment of his enemies. And interestingly, I found out that Psalm 69 is quoted nine different times by the New Testament authors, all referring to Jesus as the godly man. So naturally here, Peter interprets the enemy in these Psalms as Judas. 
I mentioned earlier that the disciples were probably reading and searching the scriptures during this time of waiting, waiting for the day of Pentecost. And I think what we see from Peter here gives evidence to that point, that they've been searching the scriptures, reading the Psalms, the Old Testament. And so he read the Psalms and he saw the fulfillment of God's plan. Peter found comfort in knowing that God's sovereignty could be seen even in the most profound evil. Well, as a result of Judas's betrayal and death, there was a position to be filled. And that leads to the third and final thing that I want you to see from this passage. And that is the comfort of God's sovereignty when acting in the present. The comfort of God's sovereignty when acting in the present. Peter continues in verse 21 and says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from his baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you Lord who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So knowing that Judas's position needed to be filled, Peter lays out the qualifications. He says it has to be someone who was present during Jesus's ministry, So from the time he was baptized all the way until his ascension, and they had to be a witness to the resurrection. That's what they're going to be empowered to be a witness for, Jesus' resurrection. And so there were two who met those qualifications. First, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, three names, and Matthias. And of course, the final qualification for apostleship was the Lord's own choosing, And that's why it says they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. Then after they prayed, we find something interesting. It says they cast lots. So if we pause there, I want you to know that casting lots was the ancient equivalent of flipping a coin or maybe rolling dice. And you might be surprised to know in the Old Testament, Sometimes God allowed the Israelites to cast lots as a way of determining his will. For example, in the book of Numbers, God instructed the Israelites to divide the land among the different tribes by casting lots. Then in 1 Chronicles, we find that lots were cast to determine the duties in the temple. So in some cases, where the will of God was unclear, the casting of lots was used as a way to come to a decision while at the same time allowing God to make his own sovereign choice. So after casting lots, it says in verse 26, the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So Matthias replaces Judas as the 12th apostle, and that's the last we hear about him in the Bible. It's also the last that we hear of Joseph Barsabbas Justice. So the only thing that he's known for is not being chosen. Kind of a sad thing. But sometimes you're not chosen for something that you're qualified for. And I feel like that could be a whole nother sermon, 
But it does make you wonder how Joseph felt when he wasn't chosen. We're not told, but since we're never told that he complained, since we're never told that he got his feelings hurt, I think we can assume that Joseph remained faithful in the early church. Now you might ask, does this passage teach us that we should flip a coin or roll dice every time we make a decision? Interestingly, this is the last time the practice of casting lots is mentioned in the Bible, as if to say the coming of God's Holy Spirit and His guidance would replace that practice. But here's what I want you to see. The disciples were acting and making real choices. They came together to fill Judas's spot. They set forth the criteria for apostleship, and they cast the lots. But ultimately, we see that God was the one who chose Matthias. And I think this is a picture of how God sovereignly works through the real choices of people. I've already mentioned some verses in the Bible that talk about this, but I want to give you just a few more. For example, Proverbs 16.1 says, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then a few verses later in that chapter, it says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So our plans and our choices are real, and yet God is still sovereign over all of them. And this may, this may be the most relevant to our text this morning. Psalm 16:33 says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." So what seems to us to be random chance is not random or by chance with God. These verses remind us that God is at work and he's accomplishing his will in and through our choices. So why would it be comforting to know that? Well, for the early church, there were more decisions to be made after this, such as what to do when they were arrested and brought before authorities, or how to respond to the Gentiles coming to faith, or how to deal with false teaching in the early church, or where to take the gospel on these first missionary journeys. They needed to know that God's plans were not dependent upon them always making the right decision. And we need to hear that as well today because life is full of difficult choices and we might think about those choices and be paralyzed wondering, what if I make the wrong choice? But when we know that God is sovereign despite our choices, that frees us to act and make decisions and rest in the fact that God is in control. So during this brief time of waiting for the Holy Spirit to be sent, God knew that his church would soon experience trials and have to make some difficult decisions. And he wanted them to be comforted by the reality that he alone is sovereign. And in the same way, I believe that God wants us to be comforted by that same sovereignty. As we anticipate the future, as we acknowledge the past, and as we act in the present. Let's pray.